Welcome to Community Hope Podcast. We pray that the word of Christ would dwell in you richly as you listen and that you would be encouraged in Christ. Good morning. Um, As you know, we're going through a series on the fruit of the Spirit. And um, before we start this, I was just thinking about fruit in general yesterday, fruit to food. And I thought, I wonder what the most popular fruit actually is, you know? And so I look it up on the internet because whatever is on the internet, we know it's true, right? <laughs> so, uh, so I just want you to guess. This, this section right over here, just call out, what do you think is the most popular fruit in America? Okay, we got kind of an apple part here. How about this section here? Okay. Oh, this one's kind of a mixed section here. Okay, strawberries. Okay, and apple. It's bananas. Yeah, by by a good margin, bananas. Yeah, apples are second. I think grapes were third. Um, on the bottom of the list is figs. Okay, and I was. <laughs> so we've been going through the fruit of the spirit. Okay, the fruit of the spirit, and we've had. I mean, everybody wants love, you know, and joy. Man, you can't have enough of that in your life. And, peace and everything. The one we have today, I think, is the least popular of all of the fruit of the Spirit in our culture, at least today, and that's gentleness, gentleness. And I think it's really appropriate that we have gentleness as the fruit of the Spirit this week when we celebrate Palm Sunday. And so what I want to do here is I want to just take you through the story of Palm Sunday to illustrate what uh, gentleness is all about. And then just to talk a little bit about what that would look like in our lives and how to actually manage this thing, since our culture is kind of down on it. So the story starts, Matthew 21, verse 1, as they approached Jerusalem. So just to give you a little context, if you look at the map up there on the screen, you'll notice that Israel, which is the country that Jesus is really dealing with right here and in for his ministry, There's like three parts to it, at least uh, along the Mediterranean Sea, Galilee, Samaria, and Judea. Galilee, the part in the north, is kind of like the sticks, okay? So it's like Hoosier land there, farmers and stuff. That was where Jesus spent most of his time. It's where he grew up. It was kind of the center of, of his ministry. And just occasionally would he get down to the southern part of Judea there, and especially like the capital city, Jerusalem. And Jerusalem, you can think of as kind of like Manhattan right now, or L.A., you know, the, you know, where all the elites are. And they're kind of like looking down on the people who come from Galilee as just like a bunch of bumpkins and stuff like that. So um, they approach Jerusalem, and let's pick up the story there. It says, and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, which is just outside of Jerusalem. Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you'll find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. Now, I've I've spoken on Palm Sunday in the past, and one of the things that I found out, and I mentioned it at that time, was there were places, actually, that were around the city where you could rent a donkey Just like today we can rent a car when we come to like an airport where, you know, we've just flown into. And so I got a feeling that that's what was happening here was that Jesus was just sent his disciples and he goes, look, go to that rent a donkey place, get me a donkey. 
And he's going, tell him the Lord needs it. And maybe this guy already knew Jesus, you know, from back or he had uh, been in contact with him before. So he gets this donkey and it says in verse 4, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, Zion is Jerusalem, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Okay, now you got to understand, like Jesus has only been to Jerusalem two, three times in his whole ministry. And each time he's been there, there's been hostility. You know, he has been opposed. There's been, you know, a lot of like questioning and crabbing about him from religious leaders. And the last time he'd been in Jerusalem, they had tried to kill him. So he's coming into a hostile city here with his group of Galileans, his Hoosiers, who are like following him here, and they're devoted to him, but they're coming into a, a foreign city. But he's coming in riding on a donkey, and the symbolism, I think, would have been understood by all the people in the city. And the symbolism is like this. If you were typically a, a conqueror, and you're trying to show your power, you come riding in on a white horse. I mean, this is the Roman Empire, right? That's what's ruling the whole world. And this is a custom. When Roman you know, uh, emperors, when Roman leaders, when Roman generals would win and they were trying to show their power, they'd come riding in on a white horse or they'd have some vehicle that was pulled by white horses and they're showing how awesome and powerful they are. But the symbolism of riding a donkey is different, and that's a symbol of you're coming in peace. You're just coming in peace. Now, I think if, if I'm coming into a city that's been hostile to me and they've tried to kill me in the past, I think I would opt for the white horse, wouldn't you? I mean, I'd want to show, hey, don't mess with me. I'm the king. And this is, this is a king of kings who's coming in here. This is no, like, slouch or wannabe or something like that. Uh, yet he's coming in here coming in peace. And I think it's really appropriate what his followers are calling out to him as he comes riding in. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. And this word Hosanna means save us, save us. I mean, here's the king of peace, right? The one who's coming in peace to them. And to, it's, it's so right to just say, save us. You know, we're going we're gonna to receive this offer of peace. We want to respond to this by inviting you in to save us here. So let's just talk a little bit about what this gentleness is all about. You know, in the Bible, the word for gentle is many times translated, it's the same word as meek or translated as humble. And in older translations, they would use the word meek much more often. But uh, like modern translators uh, kind of stay away from that word because I don't know about you, but uh, when I hear the word meek, it's got kind of negative connotations. It's kind of demeaning. You know, it's kind of weak. It's like, I don't want to be thought of as meek. I want to be thought of as more powerful and assertive or something like that. I and mean, that's where our culture kind of teaches us. But it's the same word. It's the same word, the word gentle, that we're dealing with here in Galatians that Jesus used in Matthew when he gave the, 
Sermon on the Mount, and he's going, he had these characteristics of believers that are blessed. And the third one is, blessed are the meek, blessed are the gentle, the humble, for they will inherit the earth. And, you know, that word meek was uh, actually was kind of a horse training term. And so they would, you know, back in the day, and even into World War II, the first couple of years, horses were used extensively in battle. And especially, like, think of the Middle Ages, and you got these knights who come, you know, are, are riding in, they're cavalry, right, on horses. you got to be able to trust your horse and know that this horse is not going to panic in the noise and chaos and danger of battle, right? Your life is depending on this huge animal here. And so they would train these horses, and they would try to meek them, and which meant like they wanted the horse's great strength to be so under discipline that that horse would not panic in battle. And the way they, they would test these horses to see if they had passed the test of, of being meeked, they would take like a lighted torch, and they would pass that torch underneath the horse's belly, so close it would singe the hair on that horse's belly. And if that horse just stood there and didn't flinch, they would say, that horse is meeked. That's a horse I can trust. I can take that horse into battle. And so the idea of meekness is really strength. It's your strength is under discipline. You are basically someone who can be trusted in times of trouble and reverse and when things aren't going right for you. And I believe that the best, the very best test of meekness here, of gentleness or of humility, is how well do you handle criticism or rejection? Like, how well do you take it when somebody criticizes the work you've done when you've put in so much work? How well do you take it when your kids don't get that award that they really deserve, that you saw? Or your kids didn't get that playing time uh, when they were on that team and the coach just seemed to pass them by? You know, how well do you do when you don't win an election? How well do you do when a Supreme Court decision goes against you? How well do you do when, when you're kind of despised or people start like chipping away at you un, unnecessarily or people don't appreciate all the work that you've done and they just take it for granted or just uh, maybe the award goes to somebody else when you actually deserved it and you get, you get passed up? How well do you do? That's really the test because how well is your strength under discipline? How well is your ego, your pride, you know, and that's, you can see it's a tough thing to be gentle. I, I use that picture there of a, de, of a dentist, you know. If the dentist, you're going in there, he's checking your teeth, and if he's going like, you know what, I, I suspect decay here, what will he do? He'll start picking at it, or he'll get out his little air hose and blow the air on it, and then if you go like, ah, it shows there's some decay, Right? And so that, that pain and that upset and that defensiveness that so quickly hits us, that's a sign that our pride and our ego is really, you know, not under discipline yet. It's a hard thing to be gentle. It's a hard thing to be humble. It's a hard thing to be meek. Uh, I, there's a perfect example of this gentleness in the Old Testament story of David. And it's, it takes place right after David is like his, you know, his son Absalom kind of undermines David 
and eventually Absalom usurps the kingdom. He just like takes over, drives David out of town. And so here's David, and he's got, you know, he's got his soul, some of his soldiers who've remained loyal with him, but he's running for his life. And it says in 2 Samuel 16, as King David came to Behurim, a man came out of the village cursing them. It was Shimei, son of Girah, from the same clan as Saul's family. Remember, David had replaced Saul as king, right? And this guy's from Saul's family. He's a pretty, you know, important guy. And he resents this, you know. He's mad. He's going, yeah, David's getting what's coming to him. So he threw stones at the king and the king's officers and all the mighty warriors who surrounded him. I mean, this is totally unwise, what Shimei is doing. But he's just, he's going like, yes, you know. This is, I'm getting the vengeance that I've always been looking for right here. Get out of here, you murderer, you scoundrel, he shouted at David. The Lord is paying you back for all the bloodshed in Saul's clan. You stole his throne, and now the Lord has given it to your son Absalom. At last you'll taste some of your own medicine, for you're a murderer. So this guy's like on the side of a hill, and he's just pitching stones and dirt at David. Now David's got with him all of his, he's got warriors with him. I mean, some of these guys are bad guys, you know? I mean, they, they've killed a lot of people in battle. They're nobody to mess with. One of them is his cousin named Abishai, and uh, he's, you know, pictured right here. He's going like, we got to deal with this guy. And David's got a total legal right to kill this guy on the hill because this is treason. David's still the king in name, at least, you know, and he's, he's asking for it. And so why should this dead dog curse my lord the king, Abishai, son of Zeruiah, demanded? Let me go over and cut off his head. No, the king said. Who asked your opinion, you sons of Zeruiah? Zeruiah was David's aunt, okay? He goes, if the Lord has told him to curse me, who are you to stop him? Now, I'm shocked here at David's attitude. I mean, you'd assume David would say, do it. You know, we got to deal with this guy, you know? But David not only stops Abishai, but he, he says, you know, I think the Lord is behind this. You know, the Lord's dealing with me through this, and so we're not going to, we're just not going to, we're going to let this guy do what he's doing. You know, this is where gentleness begins. It begins as an attitude of our hearts. Um, we, we accept God's dealings with us as good without disputing or resisting them. We begin to see, like, you know, this, these, these upsets that I have in my life, these reverses, these disappointments, the Lord's in these things. He's using these things for my good. I got to trust him, even in the sorrow and the upset and the anger that I feel right now. It's kind of like Job, right? I mean, Job's wife is going, curse God! And Job's going, hey, you know, um, we, are we going to just not accept this when we've accepted all the blessings? The Lord gives and the Lord takes away, and blessed be the name of the Lord. That's where gentleness begins, that attitude of the heart. And then it begins to extend to other people. It's like uh, Doug mentioned when he talked about Joseph. And how Joseph said, you know what, me being sold into slavery here in Egypt by you, my brothers, was really the Lord's hand was in this. And so here David said to Abishai and to all his servants, my own son is trying to kill me. Doesn't this relative of Saul have even more reason to do so? Leave him alone and let him curse, for the Lord has told him to do it. 
And perhaps the Lord will see that I am being wronged and will bless me because of these curses today. So David and his men continued down a road, and Shimei kept pace with them on a nearby hillside, cursing and throwing stones and dirt at David. And it tells us eventually David arrived at his destination, and he was exhausted. And you can understand that. And it's an exhausting thing sometimes to be gentle, to be meek, to be humble, isn't it? To put up with this kind of stuff. But that's what it's about. And I got to tell you, we're not, you know, I myself, and I'll bet you you either, we're just not instinctively inclined toward gentleness. It's not our default setting. It's, we, we have a very hard time with this. Um, it's, and it's kind of like that crowd in Jerusalem that's there waiting, not waiting, but going like, Jesus is coming in, the, the Jerusalemites. Now, Jesus' own followers, basically, I think, mostly from Galilee, are shouting, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest heaven. But when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? And I think they're saying this on two levels, right? First of all, they don't know him that well. He's only been there a couple times. They don't have social media. They don't have pictures, right? They're going, who, who exactly is this guy? But I think part of them is going like, who's this? I mean, who acts like this? This guy's strange, you know? Riding in in peace when there's the people here, the big shots don't like him at all. This is kind of amazing. Reminds me of something that Hitler was quoted as saying as he was lamenting the fact that Germany had the Christian religion as the state religion. And Hitler said, you see, it's been our misfortune to have the wrong religion. Why didn't we have the religion of the Japanese who regard sacrifice for the fatherland as the highest good? The Muslim religion, too, would have been more compatible to us than Christianity. Why did it have to be Christianity with its meekness and flabbiness? He's going, this is disgusting. And you know, Hitler's long-term plans were, once he eradicated the Jews, he was going to go after the Christians next because he felt they were just polluting and weakening the fiber of Germany. He just did not get it at all. And I can see the same attitude permeating our culture in the last 20, 30, 40 years. Can't you? I mean, when my kids were little, the Disney like heroines princesses were people like Snow White, who's just like cleaning the floor and taking care of the house for these seven, uh, you know, the, the seven dwarfs or whatever they were, and uh, just being nice to the animals and everything. But the, they don't have Disney princesses like this anymore, do they? They all become warrior princesses, you know. It's like, be assertive. You know, get out there and start kicking some butt, you know. This is what you got to do. And I can see this attitude kind of permeating the, the people that I teach at school, we have many more like, girl skirmishes and stuff these days than we did. This just happened in the NIT women's tournament this year where this Jamira shoots here. They're in the, her team got defeated by Bowling Green. They're shaking hands at the end. And she gets up here and gets in the line here and sucker punches Alyssa Brett from Bowling Green for nothing more than the fact that one team beat the other team right here. You know, got to be a warrior, right? This gentleness stuff, just saying nice game, no, no. So, I mean, I, I got to ask myself, what would a transformed life? You know, Jesus says the meek will inherit the earth. What would that kind of life that will inherit the earth actually look like 
for you and me. And I think the first thing here is this. James 1.19 says, dear, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that's so prevalent. And look at this. Humbly, meekly, gently accept the word planted in you which can save you. So it starts with us going, you know what? What God has said, even though it's uncomfortable for me, even though I don't like it, even though it cramps my lifestyle, I'm going to accept it. I mean, every one of us has had experience, I think, where God's word has cut too close, in our opinion, right? Where we're going like, I don't like what it says here. I don't like what it says here about managing my sexual life and marriage and stuff. I don't like what it's telling me to do with my money. I don't, want to, I don't like what it's saying about how to deal with these enemies of mine who are, are treating me so badly and abusing me. And I think of like the classic book, The Hiding Place, where Corrie Ten Boom talks about how she went through these de death camps and was, you know, was sentenced to death here, managed to get out before that happened. But why? for trying to help Jews escape from Nazi persecution, right? And so here she sees her sister actually, you know, end up dead in these camps due to the brutal treatment of the German guards. Her dad dies. You know, it's just like this terrible thing has happened to her and her family. She gets out, and she decides to go back to Germany and try to bring healing to the German people who had so much wronged her family. And the one night when she was preaching this message of for the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, and here is this German soldier, and he comes up to meet her, but he doesn't recognize her. And he was the one that was responsible for the death of her sister. And this guy goes, oh, he said, you know, you, that message was so good. It, it just touched my heart. The fact that God's forgiveness is available to, to even people like me. He reaches his hand out to shake her hand, and Corey cannot bring herself to shake his hand. And then she remembers the word that's been planted in her, that's love your enemies, do good to those who have wronged you. And so in spite of herself, she reaches out and shakes his hand, and she said, it felt like an electric current had passed through her arm when she did that. It was such a powerful experience to actually follow what God said, to forgive like that. So that, I think, is where it starts for us, where we just go like, Lord, I'm going to trust you and just humble myself under your word instead of looking for loopholes and exceptions or theologians to explain it away. I'm going to take it what it says. And then it says, like with Corey, Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever's good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle toward everyone, toward everyone, even the people who are the worst in our lives. And then it talks about in uh, 1 Peter 3, be prepared to give an answer always to uh, everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. 
to really share the message, to defend ourselves with, with gentleness. And this is something that just isn't being done much anymore. I just read this story about this, uh, this guy on the left there is a choreographer uh, for opera company in Germany, and the woman on the right is a critic. And she gave him a low review of uh, performance. And so the next time that he saw her at the theater at intermission, he came over and loudly abused her right there in, in front of everybody. And then he reaches in uh, to his pocket and he pulls out this plastic bag of stuff manufactured by his dog, Gustav, and smears it in her face. I mean, an extreme example here, but it's like we, it is not a preferred option in our culture to defend ourselves in a gentle way. But this is what we're being called to as believers. And then he, he says in Galatians 6, Brothers and sisters, if someone's caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should gently and humbly bring that person back to the right path. When somebody's, you know, we're in disagreement with them or they have done, you know, something that we feel is wrong, we need to correct them gently and humbly to do that and not in an abrasive way. Um, you probably read about this, about this federal judge who went to speak at the Stanford Law School a couple weeks ago. And the, the students, some of the students in the law school disagreed with him ideologically. And so they just shouted him down. Those are some of the, these are future lawyers right here, you know, just making it impossible for him to say his word. And even, even the dean who was there in attendance, the dean of, get this, diversity, equity, and inclusion supported the students in shouting him down. Apparently inclusiveness doesn't go very far in our culture anymore, Right. But this is not the way we go. You know, there are people who have, you know, opinions that we disagree with, opinions that we know are, are really wrong. But our, you know, our way of dealing with that is to be gentle. And then it talks about, and along the same line, opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth and that they'll come to their senses. Um, this was two days after that shooting in Nashville. Professor at Wayne State University said, I think it's far more admirable to kill a racist, homophobic, or transphobic speaker than it is to shout them down. And this is a direction our culture is going. And it's like, this is what we're facing. I mean, it's like, if we're going to be gentle people, if we're going to be humble and meek people that we're being called to, we're going to be swimming upstream against a current that's very hostile in our culture as it gets farther and farther down the road here. And so I guess the question really comes to, how are we going to produce this radically unpopular fruit of the Spirit? How can it be done? And I think that it comes down to this. The secret to gentleness is that Jesus is the true and better David. You know, I want to think of David as like the example of the way to go here. But if you know the rest of the story with David, uh, he did let Shimei go this time, didn't he? And then, uh, you know, the guy was throwing the, the dirt and the rocks at him. And then when Shimei came back after David was restored to power, David said, I forgive you. But unfortunately, here's the rest of the story. When David was on his deathbed, he was talking to his son Solomon, and he goes, you know that Shimei guy that was throwing the dirt and the rocks and I forgave him? When I'm gone, you whack him. 
David could not go very far, you know. That's as far as a, sometimes as we go, you know. We're, we're doing our best, you know. We're going like, but unless we're going in the Spirit, it's just not going to happen. And we need a better David. We need the true David to come along. And, you know, the Bible makes it clear that we need to look to the one who suffered on behalf of us stone throwers. You know, I like to put myself in the, in the place of David in that story. Don't you go like, yes, you know, people are throwing the stones at me and the dirt and everything, but I'm going to be magnanimous and let them go. But that's not me. I think I fit better into the role of Shimei there. And, you know, when I'm taking the hits, I'm subtly trying to figure out ways to get back. Or I'm replaying the story in my mind again and again and just trying to figure out how to get back on top. And we got one who went farther than David could ever go, and his name is Jesus. And it says in 1 Peter 2, But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. He's going, God is going to bless that. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. I mean, he rode that donkey of peace into Jerusalem, and he rode it, figuratively speaking, all the way to the cross, didn't he? And he was taking, he went to the cross because of all the stones that you and I have thrown at him and all the dirt we've dumped on him with our rebellious and selfish ways. And he's going, you know what? I'm going to take all this and take even dying and suffering in the way that I'm going to have to suffer for you to pay that price. And uh, Peter is saying here, this is the example for us as his followers that carry his spirit. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And he put himself in the Father's hands, didn't he? He said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, trusting that he would be raised on that third day, and he was. And so you and I in our lives, as we face these slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, as Hamlet would say, you know, that's where we got to go. We got to go, Lord, I'm going to trust you. You have promised that the meek will inherit the earth, right? Jesus said, he didn't say that the meek will conquer the earth. He says you'll inherit. And how do you inherit? Someone who loves you very much has to die, and then you just receive it as a gift, you didn't deserve it, but you got it, you know? And he says, you will inherit the earth. So you, he's saying to you and me, he's going like, you hang in there now. You just keep returning good for that evil that you get. You trust me. Don't get defensive, you know? He says, just accept it, you know, be humble, and you will inherit the earth. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning and uh, we just uh, give you thanks for the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, and we thank you for the presence of your Spirit who's making possible things that we never could have accomplished in our own way that people in the world just can't even understand. And I would just pray that the people in the world would just look at us and go, who is this? As they see that, that kind of countercultural thing in our lives that just brings glory to you. And we just ask that you would make possible things that we could never imagine 
and glorify your name in that way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Community of Hope, go to www.cohchurch.com. God bless you today.